0: Hello and welcome to these audio recordings from Project Echo, West Vic PHN Hub, COVID-19 Pandemic Response Echo Network Series. This is the COVID-19 Echo Network Series 2, Session 9, and it is Thursday the 10th of September. Good morning, thank you for joining us as we continue our conversations for our mini-series titled Housing, Crowding and Caring Part Three, and today we'll be talking about the regional roadmap to reopening. Um, By now I imagine we've all been involved in debates about the highlighted public health strategies of controlled suppression and uh, elimination, and we've witnessed the consequences in Victoria of a health system and contact uh, contact tracing system overwhelmed by this infection, resulting in uncontrolled infections in racks and unacceptable levels of community transmission now faced with prolonged lockdown and a slow stepped return to what is being dubbed the COVID normal we no doubt have many questions about what it means to adapt as healthcare workers in primary care um, both in regards to service provision interim advice provision and also as business holders so with our roadmap in hand as we gaze down the country road in regional Victoria we'll be asking the following questions this morning where are we Where are we headed? And how can we best play our role as primary care providers to best assist our communities to adapt and survive within the restrictions and safeguards of the currently selected strategy? Um, So what have we got this morning? Well, we're going to flip things a little. We're going to begin with the health pathways update by Dr. Kate Graham, GP editor. Um, And then we're going to move on to our infectious diseases update and public health advice by Associate Professor Deb Friedman. Um, We'll be talking about the, uh, the roadmap. We'll talk a little bit about this Geelong corridor and surrounds with, and colac thinking about I guess the questions I've put to Deb is a trigger points public health advice um, that might influence reopening considerations uh, and um, a reflection on what's the role of primary care we'll hear from Rachel Cowan about what's happening in Ballarat and potentially where Ballarat might focus their attention at this time in regards to prevention And then we're going to move on to a case presentation, Um, but we we welcome Dr Soong Bak, a um, GPT4 registrarian colac at Otway Medical Clinic, who will present a case. Now I'd like to hand over to Kate Graham for Health Pathways. Thank you, Kate.
1: Good morning. Um, So in terms of our updates for Health Pathways this week, um, the DHHS guidelines have actually got a new version for their case and contact management. And so we've updated that across health pathways. And the few main changes that I wanted to highlight with that is uh, mainly the fact that older adults in the community are now able to be tested if they have their non-respiratory symptoms of COVID or the milder respiratory symptoms, which puts them on par, par sort of with the aged care facility testing criteria and healthcare worker testing criteria. That actually hasn't come across to a lot of the sort of testing pages at the DHHS yet. Um, So that's one to keep an eye out for. Um, There's the inclusion of a large section in the guidelines that really relates to healthcare infections, the initial assessment process, including a PPE risk assessment matrix to determine if you meet close contact criteria and really sort of looking at that initial need to isolate. Um, We've included sort of links to this guidance in the pathways and linked in particular from the practice management page um, in the section relating to responding to an unexpected case within the practice. Because even though it's sort of designed to be looking at the larger healthcare and hospital facilities, it still is relevant for general practice. And another consideration that we've included is the management of cold chain requirements for vaccines if a clinic's required to close temporarily. In the uh, COVID and children page, um, there's a resource that we've added in, which is um, really about assessment in schools and childcare settings and their requirements for management of illness, um, because there are inevitably a lot of questions related to this and hopefully as term four commences, we'll be able to have a lot more questions related to schools. Um, In terms of our ongoing um, COVID page, the ROCGP has released guidelines for management of mild COVID at home They've now released guidance for patients as well in managing their own care at home in collaboration with their GP. And that one's a really good one um, because it includes an action plan and a symptom checklist. Um, And that's really of relevance in areas where there may not be um, a setup in place sort of in conjunction with hospital-based management. Um, In our upcoming work for health pathways to stay tuned for, we've been um, working on a pathway for post-COVID conditions. It's currently at the last stages of feedback, um, and we've been talking to Safer Care um, as well about how we can make work to make sure that patients get the best coordination of multidisciplinary care in what's becoming an increasingly complex space. So we'll hand back to you guys, and can't wait to hear more.
0: That's great. Thank you very much, Kate. Okay, over to you now, Deb. Thanks for kicking off the infectious diseases update.
2: Thanks very much, Bianca. Good morning, everybody. So September the 10th, where are we now? So the total number of cases in the state is nearly 20,000. That's a really big number. If we compare to where we were months ago, it sort of seems unimaginable in some ways. There are 60, 683 deaths in the state in total, nearly 200 people in hospital and 20 people in intensive care. The average case number, so a rolling average over 14 days for metropolitan Melbourne is 78.6 cases a day in the last 14 days, whereas for regional Victoria, it sits at 4.9. Of all of the active cases in the state, and there's nearly 2,000, only 3% of them are regional. And of all of the cases in Victoria, about 23% are of unknown source. So if we just look at those active cases in regional Victoria, which as I said, make up 3% of the state's total, there are only 58 active cases. By far, the majority are in Colac Otway with 30 cases, and we'll hear more about that this morning. Um, Coming behind Colac Otway, there are about 15 active cases in Greater Geelong, one on the surf coast, one in Warrnambool. And there's a smattering in other parts of the state, but literally one in most other areas and a few in Horsham as well. So in the last fortnight, if we look at rates per 100,000 of the population, the rates have fallen from the highest, which is where we're about 90 cases per 100,000. And that was at the er- at the period of the peak, which was in early August. So that was about a month ago. The rate now is sitting at a bit under 25 per 100,000. If we look at New South Wales, I just wanted to show the contrast between Victoria and New South Wales. So New South Wales in total has had 4,135 cases, so they've had one-fifth the number of cases that Victoria's had. And you can see that the majority of their cases were months ago. They only have 142 active cases in the state, which is significantly less by proportion than the number of active cases that we have. And if you cast your eyes to the Y-axis, you can see that the highest number of daily cases that they ever had sat at about 200. But otherwise, you can see that their daily case numbers are usually less than 20 cases a day and often less than 10 cases a day. So it begs the question of, are the outbreaks in New South Wales and Victoria the same? The answer that I have for that is no. Are the outbreaks in Victoria and New South Wales comparable? Once again, I would say no. Is there a difference between tracing more than 700 cases a day and tracing 200 cases a day? Well, yes, there's a very big difference, a factor of three. Is there a difference between tracing about 10 cases a day and tracing about 60 cases a day, which is the difference between Victoria and New South Wales now? Well, yes, a factor of six. For every case, there's numerous contacts to chase. So... If we look at the last week alone, we can see big differences between New South Wales and Victoria. So ultimately, that brings me to the fact that making comparisons about the quality of contact tracing in the two states is not a valid comparison. And for those of us who've worked tirelessly for months, it's frankly quite offensive. So opening up the state Um, because of businesses and because of the requirement for retail to get back open with the numbers that we have now is extremely unwise. And internationally, we can see that countries that have opened up, they all experience another wave, which, which then requires further restrictions to come into place. So to the armchair critics, I say, sit back and chill out and let us do our work. So what is the roadmap for recovery? So eyes are on our corridor, you heard that, they're looking at us. Um, Keeping cases on a low rolling fortnightly average is the task that we've been given. None of the previous core public health messages have expired, they're still as applicable now and will continue to be as applicable. And they include physical distancing, some restrictions, and that's going to be restrictions specifically on how many people you can be with at any time, in any place, and isolation if you have any symptoms at all. So what's the role of primary care in this roadmap of keeping cases low? Well, I think the case that we're going to hear described this morning is going to really tell the story for me of how things go out of control, but not thanks to any of the wrongdoing of medical professionals. And so I think it tells us a few messages about the importance of reviewing the messaging that we give to our patients constantly, recommending isolation and testing for even the mildest of symptoms, constantly showing compassion for the fact that people find it hard but messaging about the fact that there is no other option. So why do I say that? There is no plan B and why is that? And so the answer to that is that if we bow to pressure and opened up when we had even 50 cases a day, that would increase significantly within even a fortnight, we would be back to where we were before and we'd have hundreds of cases a day. And then those sitting in their armchair saying, but illnesses are mild, why does that matter? A lot of them are in young people, they'll only be unwell briefly, what's the problem? Well, I think we know what the problem is, but I'll just kind of mention it in words. It's the fact that the kid who goes to school, who has mild symptoms, um, goes to see their parents and then goes to see their grandparents. And that those are the people that will become unwell. So this brings back to why it's a problem to open up. If you look at the comorbidities among people hospitalized for COVID-19, admitted to ICU and those who have died. So this is what we're trying to prevent. So people sitting there saying that Victoria is too slow and that we're not doing the right thing. Let's have a look at the things that make people do poorly with this disease and includes, and I've written, sort of in bigger letters, cardiac disease, chronic respiratory disease, diabetes, obesity. And you can see all of those comorbidities listed and having one or more comorbidities. And that's my dad with diabetes, cardiac disease. It's your mum, it's your grandma. So these are the people who will die when we open up and bow to pressure.
0: Okay, thank you Deb. I'm gonna throw across now to Rachel to provide a Ballarat update.
3: Hi everyone. Um, we are in the sort of the Greater Grampian region are in a really good spot at the moment. We've had in Ballarat in particular, we haven't had any new cases in since the twenty third of August, which is fantastic. Um, there had been three cases that had been listed and listed, and those two of those were actually historical that should have been cleared a number of weeks ago, Um, and unfortunately through the whole process, it's a long convoluted story, but uh, they've now come off. And the third one, which magically popped up last week, was actually someone that uh, is in India. So after many phone calls by Rob Commons, the other ID consultant, uh, we found out that that person is no longer in the country and hadn't been for a number of weeks. We've also got two cases in Horsham. Uh, It's listed as three on the website. There seems to be a lag in terms of what we're actually seeing reported by LGA and what we know is happening locally in the community Um, and hopefully those two cases are actually cleared yesterday so that will come off our list as well. We're currently involved in an outbreak, uh, sort of in conjunction with the Melbourne um, team, contact tracing team, of a cluster associated with a funeral, uh, as well. And that patient, or oh, that person, was actually uh, under our um, jurisdiction because they'd been isolating uh, locally away from their family in Melbourne. Um, there's two that we're involved in in Moorable and seven on the list as well and so Murable's a little bit interesting because it's on that border of uh, Melton uh, and so the department's looking after a number of those and also the uh, Interestingly, just in terms of numbers, one of our cases that we've got on our list is listed as greater than 110 years, which is amazing. Um, As far as prevention is concerned, it's exactly to say exactly what um, Deb's saying. It's about sort of getting the messages out there as far as prevention, um, testing. It's the same messages that we're going and I know it seems to be ad hoc, uh, not uh, sort of going on and on and on about the same message, but the message, there is no simpler message than the one that we're already promoting. And, And I think for you guys, it's all about sort of, it's vigilance in the face of, been doing this for a long time uh, and it's incredibly hard uh, as well. Um, From a local perspective, as far as sort of ongoing management, the contact tracing team now that in Ballarat, now that we've actually gained our breath, is looking at expanding our services in terms of us being the coordinating centre, but providing training and linking people in from the remote uh, regional areas to be able to um, help us with local contact tracing, because there's nothing quite like being right in the area to be able to locally contact trace. And so having that ability uh, is what we're focusing on at the moment. So I think, uh, and the testing clinics are all still the same. So BHS um, is in Sebastopol, UFS and Ballarat Community Health. And thank you to the GPs that have stepped up and and have been coordinating that and and working with that. It's been amazing in the community. So I think I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. I've got a few questions coming through the chat, which I'm going to
0: shoot through to you. either of you, but um, I'll, I'll I'll put this to Deb. So, firstly, the capacity of GPS to contact trace is it appropriate? And if so, you know, could GPS help? Could there be better resource to assist with contact tracing? Um,
2: in in many parts of regional Victoria right now, GPS are playing a major role in contact tracing. So, in Shepparton, in aubrey Wodonga, in um, Bendigo, there's lots of there's lots of different hands being put into contact tracing. Um, So it's not that GPs don't have a role there, they actually can play a big role. I guess it was just that speaking locally and also for Ballarat, our teams were stood up being hospital-based. That doesn't mean that GPs aren't important and a lot of the intel that we get is from GPs. But I guess the team was set up kind of from the hospital point of view. But I think GPs play an important role and certainly... In smaller regional areas that's where a lot of our information has come from and a lot of the on the ground work in smaller places has been done by gps and that includes places like kyneton um, Gisborne, Bore Mansfield, the GPs have done an amazing job. I think in Geelong, just because we're so well resourced and also Ballarat, we've probably had a bigger role from the hospital perspective. That, But that's not to underplay the role of GPs. It's just, I think, probably the way that
0: it's been set up. We've been kind of doing most of it but that doesn't mean that the gps don't have a role right so if um from um if in we could consider geelong and otway in the melbourne bubble then the rest of the victoria has a rolling average of way less than five and potentially could open up what are your thoughts
2: yeah so the regional victorian rolling average is very positive so even though we've got 30 active cases in colac otway the daily case numbers are low so And and what we're going to see now, just kind of Nostradamus, but it's not really Nostradamus. This is the way the outbreak plays out. We're going to get some day 11 test results. Um, So we had some the other day which increased the total by five. We'll have a few more trickling in every day this week, which is going to increase the total, I suspect, and then it will stop and then it will peter out. So um, we're going to see a little bit more, but those numbers daily are fairly low. So the answer to what Anna Glue said, she's correct. The rolling average is very much in our favour. And, in fact, it will be even lower than that once we resolve the colic outbreak. There are no other large outbreaks in all of regional Victoria right now. There's smatterings of cases as a lot of outbreaks die down, so getting to sort of the 14-day part of a lot of these outbreaks. But there's not any new large outbreaks. Now, I say this should really be knocking on wood because just as you say that someone in a meat
0: works, you know, something could start up there, but we hope not. So uh, just a clarifying question about the guidelines. said uh, said so no new cases for 14 days from an unknown source? So if you could just clarify those those trigger points.
2: Yeah, that's a, that, that's probably the one that I'm most concerned about in terms of all of those trigger points. That means that even a single case where we didn't know where they got it from could be could put us, you know, in the in the bad spotlight if you like, because they're watching us. So that's really problematic for us. I guess the problem is, and one of the things that's not clear when this sort of roadmap came out is at which point do you call that case a mystery case? So on day one it could be a mystery case, but what we found with some of our mystery cases is that we finally find the link five days later or seven days later when we figure out a link to a gang that they hung out with or something else. So I guess that's the the challenging bit for us is the timing at which you declare it an unlinked case. So we're hoping that we get a small amount of grace period because the reality is on the day that a case comes up, we can't often ascertain what it's connected to. So I guess I would share the concern of others about that specific metric and we hope that there'll be a few days grace from the time of notification of a case to the time to have to declare whether or not it's a linked or an unlinked case.
0: So that concludes the panel presentation for this session. This series was brought to you by the West Vic PHN. I'm Bianca Forrester and I'm the GP facilitator for this series. I'd like to acknowledge the work of Gemma Misbach, Natalie Love, Fiona Quigley, Matt Dixon and Kate Graham for their work in coordination, support and contribution to this series. These audio catch-ups are produced by Gemma Misbach, myself and Jade Buller. Come along and join the discussions on Thursday mornings at 7.30am via Zoom. You can register on the West Vic PHN website by looking up Project ECHO COVID-19. All sessions are RACGP and ACRAM accredited as a time-based activity and CPD certificates are available for non-GP participants. Thanks for listening and join us again next time.